Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. So every, every year we, as pastors, we, we talk about who's going to preach when. And so Robert, uh, as a bookend, uh, our senior minister is Robert Cunningham. He's taking a well-deserved break today. Uh, on the front end, Mark or I usually does the Thanksgiving sermon. And then on the back end, one of us does the Christmas. And Mark did the Thanksgiving one, and I did the Christmas one. And so as I was sitting over the last four weeks listening to Robert's sermons, which I Highly recommend you go and listen to um, the three Advent sermons and the Christmas Eve service. I was sitting there last week and I was sort of overcome with the idea of what would it be like for us to take these long expected things that that Robert preached on and applied them and the words of Jesus' prayer came to my mind. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we take the long-expected retribution, where, as Robert talked about in the first Advent sermon, that the devil will be thrown down. All justice and righteousness will be restored. The world will be right, and retribution will come. How do we live that out? Redemption, the long-expected redemption, that Christ purchased forgiveness for your sins and also healing for all your wounds. One day, all things will be made new. All things, uh, your redemption will be complete in Christ. How do we live that out on earth today? And then the third one he did was the reconciliation, that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. You are no longer a stranger. You are no longer an enemy. You are a friend. You're a son, a daughter. Uh, You're a kingdom, a priest to our God. That reconciliation happened because Christ came. What would it look like to live that out? So that's what I'm going to preach on. I'm going to give us some applications. But the reason I'm doing this also is uh, there's, there's a book that's been circulating around uh, Christendom, if you will. It's called Canoeing the Mountains. And 80% of the book is worth getting. 20% wouldn't be real applicable, but 80, it's, it's worth getting. And the reason I love this book is it's, it's the conflation of two books that the guy was writing on and applying them to Christianity in the 21st century. The first book is uh, Lewis and Clark's expedition written by Stephen Ambrose called Undaunted Courage. Highly recommend getting it. It'll take you a long time. It's a thick book, but it's worth reading. Great, great historical account of the Lewis and Clark expedition. And then the second one is A Failure of Nerve, which is a, a more of a psychological book, but it's good too. But what he says in the Canoeing the Mountains is this. Lewis and Clark were given the assignment from President Jefferson to find a waterway from Virginia all the way to the West Coast with the idea of, of trade happening. And they knew they could get to St. Louis, and so they started in St. Louis by water, and hence the arches, the gateway to the west. And they, they started boating from 
St. Louis, and were intending to find a waterway all the way to the West Coast. If you know the story, they met a very significant barrier, uh, the Bitterroot Mountains, uh, a part of the Rocky Chain. So they were unable to boat all the way to the Pacific Ocean. So Lewis and Clark, who were trained uh, boatmen, and they had a crew called the Corps of Discovery that were trained boatmen, their navigation skills, their boating skills, their ability to make canoes, all, all the like. They were not mountaineers. And so they had, they had a decision to make when they met the Bitterroot Mountains. They could go back and tell Thomas Jefferson, we can't do it, there's no water, uh, you're going to have to get somebody who can you know, blow up mountains and build tunnels through mountains and all that kind of thing, which would come later. Or they could adapt their team, their skills, their leadership, if you will, and traverse the mountains, which is what they did. And so the canoeing the mountains, it's a great title, is they stopped canoeing water to get across to the mountains. They had to climb and portage and carry their things with the help of the Indians and horses and all kinds of things. And the purpose of the book is to say, in 2020, the church of Jesus Christ The landscape of the church, the landscape of the world is dramatically changing. And we have been boating for perhaps a couple of hundred years down the river of Christianity. And we find ourselves now at some pretty intense mountains. What will we do? Will we give up? Will we say the mission can't happen? Or will we adapt? Will we change? Will we look at the mission as still being the same, yet find ways to get over these mountains? Those are one of the things that, this is some of the stuff I think about all day, every day. I love to think about this stuff. It's how do we empower and equip the church of Jesus Christ to move out into the world over mountains? And so this is a sermon with that hope in mind. So let's, before I give you sort of the applications, let me give you the context to why I chose these two passages. Look with me first at the Ephesians passage. This is Ephesians 6. This is the end of Paul's letter to Ephesus. This is a city. Uh, So if you don't know this about the Bible, when it says Ephesians or Corinthians or Colossians, these are cities where the church of Jesus Christ was growing. So he's writing to the people in Ephesus. And what he is saying to them in this last chapter, hey, listen, the, the gospel has gone forward. You are in Christ. All the riches are yours. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed to you. But make no mistake about it. What you see happening on earth with Rome and with your family and with your own heart is not your real wrestle. The wrestle is not with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he writes chapter 6 to say, but God has not left you without the equipment to fight that spiritual battle. You have an armor. He gave you an armor that you can put on so you can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. And here in the last part, he says he gave them a weapon, that he's given us a weapon, the only weapon that we have. And it's the weapon, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And he says, take that sword praying. And what I want you to, the reason I chose this one is because so much of what we've been talking about in Advent, about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Robert talked about screw tape letters. Go listen to that one a few Tuesdays ago. That behind the scenes of what's happening on earth is a very intense spiritual uh, battle and drama unfolding. God has prepared us for that. And God has given us prayer. God has given us his word. God has given us the fellowship of the saints to help here. All right, the second passage is the Lord's Prayer. And no doubt, Paul was drawing some of the principled stuff from 
the Lord's Prayer when he was writing his Ephesians book. Look at, look at, you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. He starts by saying, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You should address God as holy. He is not like you. He is removed from you. He is set apart from you. However, he is near to you. Jesus is there staying this to them. The Father has come to bring you to himself. Pray then this way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That spiritual drama that's happening that you cannot see is going to have its place playing out on earth, both now and forevermore. Christ intends to reign on the earth. He says, give us our daily bread, a reference to not only our daily sustenance we need, but to his word being that bread that sustains us for all times. He prays for the forgiveness of sins, our own and those around us. He prays for protection against the evil one. You can see so many of the same things. So in these two passages about spiritual dynamics, prayer, equipping the saints, we have spiritual warfare, prayer, God's word, forgiveness, and the glory of God to the world. That's why I think it's important that we take the Advent themes and apply them. So here's how we're going to do it. If you're a note taker, here's my four points. Robert preached on the long-expected retribution. I want to encourage us to have retributive prayer in 2021. Robert preached on the long-expected redemption. I want to encourage you to read your Bible with a redemptive focus. Robert preached on a reconciled, the long-expected reconciliation. I want to encourage us to be a reconciled community or a community committed, a community committed to reconciliation. And then I'm going to add a fourth one, a renewed mission. I think if we had four sermons from Robert, I think he would have preached on that Jesus Christ came to make all things new. He came for the ultimate renewal, the completion of his kingdom. All right, so let's, let's dive in. And my, my hope here, seriously, is to equip you to walk into 2021 with these Advent themes, these deep spiritual uh, dynamics that are happening with very concrete things that you can go do. So first, retributive prayer. I'll be honest, I had to go look up the word retributive, uh, retribution after the sermon. The sermon was clear on what he was talking about, but I wanted to find out what that word means. And, you know, the, the etymology of a word like this is the re-tribute, giving tribute to something else. Or, or, or another way to say it is to reassign. So what, what, what the, the spiritual truth is, is that Jesus is going to bring retribution to the devil. He's going to assign all death, all darkness, all hell, all trauma to the devil and going to cast him away that will not be a part of his new kingdom. What if we prayed this way? One of my mentors said, I used, to, I used to travel a lot and spend a lot of time in hotel rooms. And as a, as a man spending two or three nights in a hotel room, a hotel room can be a very tempting place for a lot of different reasons. And he said, Will, when you go into that hotel room, pray two prayers. Get on your knees at that bed, on the bed, and say, well, first prayer, Satan, you will have no place here. God, I pray that Satan will not have a place in this hotel room, in my mind, in my heart, on my TV, and who comes in and out of this room. I'm praying against Satan. And they said, right after that, invite Jesus to spend the whole business trip with you in that hotel room. Jesus, come and be with me. Come and be near me. Be my, be my comfort. Be my protection. You see, those are, those are reassigning prayers. 
What if you did that this year? When you feel the temptation of the devil, when you feel his lies and his darkness and his manipulation and the voices coming to you, you say to him, I'm reassigning that. You get, you, you get this. You get hell. You get disbursement. You get banishment from the kingdom of God. Devil, these are yours. They're not mine. And you say to Jesus, Jesus, you are my righteousness. You are my hope. You are my peace. You are my justification. And you reassign all of that to Jesus. But what happens when you do sin? Same thing. You are going to sin. Just like me. We are going to fall. Retributive prayers. A sign back to Jesus. Jesus, you paid for this. Jesus, you forgave this. Jesus, I don't have to carry this anymore. You carry my load. You carry my sorrow. You carry my brokenness. I reassign things to Jesus. What if 2021 was the practice of retributive prayer? Secondly, what if 2021 was the reading of our Bibles with a redemptive lens? See, Paul said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying. So we pray retributive prayers. We assign to Jesus what is rightly his, not ours. And we pray and we read our Bibles with a redemptive focus. What does it mean? Redemption is buying back, taking back. Purchasing something that was yours that was once lost. You might have heard the story before or one similar, but there was a young boy who for Christmas was given a, a, a kit to make a boat. And the boat, he would, he would put it together with a little, the, the wood, he would paint it, he'd have it all ready, and it, would, it, would, it was ready to be uh, unleashed on its maiden voyage out at the river by his house. And so come March, he took that boat that was ready, and he took it out on a string and let it out into this river and he watched the boat float. This creation that he had made, this boat that he had treasured and loved, now was floating and doing what he had made it to do. But the spring rains had come, the river was rushing faster than normal and the boat began to go further and further and he lost grip of the rope and lost the boat and the boat was taken downstream never to be seen again, so he thought. The kid was distraught, you can imagine, right? Kids, you had your, your favorite toy this Christmas, your favorite thing that you had. Girls, your favorite blouse. Boys, your favorite golf ball. Gone, right? It's, it's not there. You'd be sad. A couple of months later, he's walking, the little boy is walking down the street of his town, and he passes the toy store. And in the window of the toy store is his boat, and he sees it. And he runs into the, he runs into the, to, to, to the to, toy shop owner and he says, hey, sir, that's my boat. That's Christmas. I, I got that boat. I made it. I built it. I painted it. Son, if you want that boat, you can buy it back. I'm not, I don't know that that's yours or somebody else's. Cost is $29.99. The boy goes home, empties his bank account, or his piggy bank, goes back and purchases the boat, his boat. And as he's walking out of the toy shop, he says, I've loved you twice. I created you, and now I've redeemed you. And that's the picture we're talking about with Christ. He made you, and he bought you back. You were lost, and now you are found. What if we read the Bible that way? That I looked at every page of the Scripture to find where Christ is telling me how I'm made by him and loved by him, and how now I am redeemed and loved by him. 
Because oftentimes we read the scriptures trying to find out how I measure up to God and how I measure up to you and how I measure up to my own standard of morality or the world's morality. What if we did away with that? And we went to the scriptures to see the redemption Christ has purchased for us. It's on every page. And just practically speaking, if you need some help here, I do this more often than not in my devotionals. This is real practical. Today is December 27th. If you go to Psalm 27, and you read it, and you do every 30th Psalm today, you would do Psalm 27, Psalm 57, Psalm 87, Psalm 117, and Psalm 147. If you do that for 30 days, in 30 days you'll get through all 150 Psalms. So in a month, you could redemptively read all of the Psalms. That would be a great thing to do for January. And go to it because the Psalms have the gamut of emotions, the gamut of how we feel about Christ, God's deliverance in our life. The Psalms would be a great place to start. So retributive prayer, redemptive Bible reading. What about a reconciled community or a community committed to reconciliation? Again, the word reconcile, to bring back together that which was severed to bring back together. Do you understand Christ did that for you with God? He brought you back to him. Your relationship with God is no longer severed. And Paul says, since that has happened, he has now given to us the ministry of reconciliation, that we are to go pronounce and pursue this reconciliation. This might be with each other in this context, in our church community. This might be in your family. This might be in the broader world. We should, this, what this says is we should be see behind the clickbait. We should be see behind the tweets. We should be see behind the media. Why so much anger? Why so many walls? Why so much hatred? Why so much brokenness? Why such hurt? Why such divide? We, as the reconciled people, ought to go pursue reconciliation in our world. Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Listen, I know how hard this is. Um, this requires a tender heart. I feel like this has been my lifelong quest as a Christian is to ask God to make my heart tender. When I was a young Christian, I became a Christian my junior year, in between my sophomore and junior year at, in college. And one of the first passages I read was Ephesians 4.32. This is what it says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And some of you know my story with my, my family, my father particularly, but I began to pray at this moment because I was ate up with bitterness and resentment towards my father at age 19, 20. Lived life with that sort of chip on my shoulder. So I began to pray this passage, Lord, give me a tender heart that I can forgive him. And over about a three-week span of praying that, I got a phone call that said, hey, you need to come to a funeral, which would be the first time I saw my father and was actually able to express this forgiveness to him. God had done a tender work in my heart towards him. I wanted to be reconciled to him. Please keep praying. I'm not reconciled fully to my father yet. I'm 47, still praying that. But a couple years later, God took this idea of reconciliation a little bit further for me. I had the privilege of going to, to uh, Hawaii on a vacation, and I was able to tour uh, Pearl Harbor, which was one of my lifelong dreams. 
I was blown away at the, the impact of seeing the, the ships at the bottom of the harbor. But I was more impacted at the number of Japanese tourists that were touring this national monument of American patriotism. And I could feel the lack of tenderness in my heart for those that had caused such havoc on my nation and on my relatives now were touring this, this thing, this Pearl Harbor. And, I, and I, my heart was hard and angry. And an act of cosmic providence and humor, a little bit, the next summer, I would spend three months in Japan. And God did a wonderful work of tenderizing my heart. And I had a very concrete moment of this. My wife and I are sitting at a nice steakhouse in Tokyo, and we had what was called Kobe steak. Just out of curiosity, raise your hand if you have had a Kobe steak. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, if you want to, if you want to affirm this testimony, come to these folks. It is without question the most tasteful, tender, melt-in-your-mouth piece of meat you could ever have, and it will cost you your mortgage to eat it. And I'm in Japan. I'm thinking about all these things of what God has called me to be as a reconciler to the world, and, I'm, and I can feel my heart growing tender. <laughs> the humor went on because we, we came back to the United States, got off the plane. A couple days later, we treated ourselves to Ryan's Steakhouse. And we had the beef jerky that they call sirloin <laughs> uh, underneath the heat lamps. And it was not tender. <laughs> it's hard to chew. But you understand what Paul's saying here. You and I should have hearts that are easy to chew like Kobe steak. Because then you can move towards people that way. You're easy to chew. You're easy to take down. You're easy to get along with. That's what reconciliation is like. Be tenderhearted. Retributive prayer, redeemed scripture reading, a reconciled community, and then lastly, a renewed mission. I wanted to add this because I think as we talk about what Christ is doing and all of those things that I mentioned, the retribution that is coming, the reconciliation that is yours, the redemption that is yours, he is making all things new. So we are to be a people of renewal. Everywhere we go, the kingdom of God should come, should be at hand why? Because we bring the Savior who is in us to those places. And so therefore, there should be renewal. And I have thought a lot about this this Christmas. In the passage that keeps coming, I didn't have it printed, I should have, is Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says this, He has shown you, O man, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Here's how I've applied that as a renewal focus. Do justice. Several weeks ago, I, I did a little YouTube video. You can go look at it where I, I, I talked about in every courthouse and um, courtroom pretty much all over the globe, there will be the Greek lady of justice either in a statue or in a carving holding the scales of justice. And the scriptures speak about this. You know you see injustice when the scales are tipped. If I want to sell a piece of gum to Mark and he wants to buy it from me and I overcharge him, that's unjust. He's not getting justice for his chewing gum. The scales show righteousness or justice. 
And what Micah says to us is we are to do justice. Not just say, oh, I didn't rob you, or oh, I'm not a thief, or oh, I'm not this. No, not to say I'm not something, but to go after something. It's do justice. One of the documents that we love as Presbyterians is the Westminster, Westminster Larger Catechism. The Westminster Larger Catechism, when, when the divines wanted to write about the Ten Commandments, they did, it, they did it in two ways. They said, what is required in this commandment and what is forbidden in this commandment? So let me give you an example. The Sixth Commandment is, thou shalt not kill. Now you may read that and go, hey, I'm not a murderer. Hang on a second. There's way more to this if we're doing justice to this law. Here's how they said it. The duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, avoiding all occasions, temptations and practices which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any. By just defense, therefore, against violence, requiting good for evil, comforting the distress, protecting and defending the innocent. You see what he's saying? You don't get the luxury of standing back and saying, I'm not a murderer. No, to, to, to do justice to the sixth commandment means to go pursue life in yourself and others. What are the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment? The sins forbidden in the sixth commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or others. Sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, whatsoever else to the destruction of life of any. Friend, Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. I tell you, don't have anger in your heart. You see what he's doing? He was not allowing us to stay back and say, I'm not this. He's saying, I want you to go do something. Let me be frank, the, the area that I see this the worst in our culture, particularly in white America, is the issue of race. If I've heard 10 times, I've heard 10,000 times. I'm not a racist, and I want to say, great, that's a low bar. To be a human, to have dignity and love for your fellow mankind, if you're a Christian, to say you're not a racist, good for you. Your scriptures say, do justice. Where you see inequality, where you see pejorative jokes, where you see attacks and prejudices, where you see stereotyping, you are to do justice. That's what a renewal would look like. But he says, do justice and love kindness. Listen, I have a high justice meter. My wife tells me this all the time. So I need to hear love kindness too, Will. Do justice, but love kindness. When persecuted, pray. When slighted, serve. When disrespected, honor. When robbed, give. When slandered, encourage. You can pray this for me. I want to be kind. I want to, I want to do justice. I want to get after the bad guys. But I want to do it kindly. And then lastly, he says, walk humbly with your God. Let God have his way with you this year. Humble yourself under his purposes and plans. Walk where God is walking. And you know where God is walking. He's walking among the oppressed, the lost, the bound, the hurting. Walk humbly with your God. Folks, if we did that, we would bring a renewed year to our 2021. All right. I hope that's practically helpful. I hope that gives you some fiber to your backbone, to your hands. But let me close by preparing us for this table. 
Because all of this is not just good strategy. That's one thing about canoeing the mountains we have to be careful of. It's, it's the, the problems with canoeing the mountains is not just we need better strategies. We do need those, but we need, a, we need a reorientation to our Savior. We need to see Him differently. When Jesus was asked, He said, I'm going to the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and I'm going to Him. One of the disciples said, we don't know the way. What did He say? I am the way. I am the path. I am the truth. I am the life. Our reorientation our renewal, our redemption, our retribution, our reconciliation is to a person, not to a strategy. So we can pray retributive prayers because Jesus is bringing the long-expected retribution, all your guilt, all your shame, all your sorrow. We can read the Bible with redemptive eyes and focus because Jesus is the redeemer of God's people and the Bible is his story. He made you and he redeemed you. We can live in a community committed to reconciliation and having a tender heart because Jesus is a tender and lowly shepherd and he has reconciled us to the Father and we have peace with God and goodwill toward men. And we have a mission that is engaged in renewal because Jesus is making all things new. That is his mission, to undo all wrongs, to eradicate sin and death, to bring about a kingdom that is altogether just and righteous. We are his people walking into his world in that way. Turn with me to page nine. I want to show you this. I always like to highlight some of the lyrics that we're doing in our songs because our musicians, Deb, thank you for filling in today, and Mary Beth, Stephen is away but our musicians choose songs because they're relevant to our, our teaching. Look at page nine, this, this hymn that we're going to sing, long, Come Long Expected Jesus, the, the last stanza. Jesus was born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. May God help us to bring kingdom, his kingdom What's happening in heaven on earth today. Now let's come to this table and have him invite us to the table of his father and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word and its help. Increase our faith. Where our hands feel weak, where our heart feels heavy, where our knees feel shaky, strengthen us today. You have gone before us. You have done battle with the devil. You have done battle with sin. And you have done battle with death. And you are victorious. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.